Hi, this is Josh Jackson from WRTI. Dangerous Sounds is supported by Jazz Denmark, the Danish Ministry of Culture, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Danish Arts Foundation, the Augustinus Foundation, and the members of WRTI. The following episode of Dangerous Sounds contains descriptions of illegal drug use and language that some listeners may find objectionable. Nineteen sixty-five, downtown Alberg, northern Denmark. Darkness has already engulfed the town as he steps out into the abandoned, rain-soaked street. Where are all the people at? How kind of place is this? He wonders. He's wearing a long, dark woolen coat over a freshly pressed white shirt that almost glows in the thick evening air. Muted reflections from dim streetlights bounce off his black silk tie. He notices a dark green Volvo turn towards his hotel. Two younger men are inside, and one of them rolls down the passenger side window as they pull up. Excuse me, sir, are you Mr. Earl Hines? Asks one man in a thick Danish accent. Welcome to Alberg. He gets in the back of the Volvo and they drive. As they get farther away from downtown, though, confusion and then concern begin to sink in. Aren't they going the wrong way? He tries to ask his chauffeurs about the venue and where they're headed, but all they seem to be able to say is, we're almost there. The well-traveled pianist shrugs and rolls his eyes. He's seen pretty much everything in his years on the road. But when the car turns off the main road and finds its way into some kind of park surrounded by tall trees, alarm bells start to go off. Where the hell are they? We're almost there, one of the men says again. They turn onto a gravel road and the trees close in on them. It's pitch black. Hey, where are we? Where are we going? What's going on? Asks the jazz icon, now palpably worried. After a few minutes drive down the muddy road, the two men and a visibly distressed Earl Hines arrive at a dilapidated barracks in a small clearing. They park the car and the guy in the sweater points at the shack with a sly, crooked smile. Earl Hines reluctantly steps out of the Volvo and firmly plants one of his freshly polished shoes straight down into a puddle. What the fuck? He suddenly grasps the reality of his situation. Completely alone, in the woods with two white men, and so far away from home terrifying images of blacks being lured into traps by white men flashed through his mind. No goddamn way he's getting into that shed without a fight. You're listening to Dangerous Sounds, the story of jazz in Denmark. My name is Kristen Osgood, and in this episode... I'm going to focus on the 50s and 60s, where jazz became popular culture in Denmark, a time where the Danish musicians reached a new level of performing America's only original art form, jazz. 
the local musicians grew in skills and self-confidence, and one of them, maybe the best, is one of the main characters of this episode. The legendary Jan Elnif. For many years, he was first called when American master musicians visited Denmark. He played with Bud Powell, Bruce Moore, Eric Dolphy, and many more. In Jan Elnif's time, jazz spread across Denmark like a wildfire, and new jazz clubs popped up everywhere, making the small Scandinavian country a haven for touring American jazz musicians. Like Earl Hines in the scene you just heard, you might not know an awful lot about Denmark. And that's completely understandable. Denmark is totally flat. It's a peninsula at the top of Germany, with the North Sea at its left, Sweden at its right, and Norway in front. And I have a theory. I think that the country's geographical composition could be the reason that Danish culture has proven to be so adaptable. Danish jazz history is loaded with talented sidemen who thrive in situations where they have to accommodate the artistic visions of others. You see, in Denmark, We have no mountains, we have no rivers, no canyons, we have no earthquakes or tornadoes. Geographically, it's a transition between the proud mountain terrain of Norway and Sweden and the European mainland. Danes have always had an ear to the ground, and I think that's why Denmark has produced musicians like Jørn Elnif and many more, who were instantly capable of immersing themselves in the new foreign music. This is the story of Danish sidemen from heaven. I say transit coming through Copenhagen. Shit. If you don't transit, you stop. Our story begins in Copenhagen in the 1950s. At this time, Jørn is in his early teens and he's already playing drums as much as he can. And at this point, it's hard to imagine the small, peaceful, feudal society of Denmark developing into a hotspot for the creative and original African-American art form of jazz. But something is happening. In the Danish jazz underground, a new, dangerous sound is in the air. Bebop. And the minds of musicians and listeners are opened up. You shouldn't ask me what bebop is. You might as well ask me what is jazz? What is art? And that becomes a longer explanation. Let's let Jan Elnif describe it in his own words. The main difference with bebop lies in the rhythm and the chords. Take the great Thelonious Monk, for instance. When he played just a gigolo, everyone could hear that it was the tune. 
But he changed the harmonics completely into his own. And then bebop was also influenced by Afro-Cuban music. Everybody had been playing nice and easy, and suddenly bebop came and totally changed the energy. We bring to you once again the wonderful and outstanding Charlie Parker and his wonderful... As Charlie Parker came into the picture. Miles Davis was only 19 years old when he started playing with Charlie Parker. Miles Davis was only 19 years old when he started playing with him. Miles Davis on trumpet, Max Roach on drums, Tad Dameron on piano and Curly Russell on bass. Here's 52nd Street theme. I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that most of you know about Charlie Parker, the greatest musician to ever live. And if you don't, Please look him up and embark on a journey that will forever change you. It feels like you're being ripped off the chair. And then Dizzy comes in with the trumpet. It's so good, you want to shit in your pants. Even though Jan is very young, the first time he hears Bebop, the music does something to him, and he can't let it go. Jörn's talent is undeniable. And at that time in Denmark, if you've got talent, you have to study at the conservatory. But in the early 1950s, that's an expensive luxury not afforded to people coming from modest means with a single mother in what was Copenhagen's worst slum back then. I come a fan, And he rushes into the room and says, Play, play, play. At an audition at his mom's place, Jörn, with his pre-natural musical abilities, convinces one of the conservatory's professors that he should get a full scholarship to the school, also known as the Royal Danish Academy of Music. He said to my mom, I'll probably get him a scholarship at the conservatory. But then, he has to behave properly and promise to practice. Elnif promises. There's just one problem. Jazz music as a genre is banned at the school. It's forbidden to play jazz at the conservatory. In fact, you can even be expelled if you're caught playing jazz. 
der fik jeg lært at spille med whiskers So Jan Elnif practices with brushes instead of drumsticks and plays jazz in secret hiding in the basement under the conservatory. He has some close calls during those undercover practice sessions and nearly gets busted a couple of times. Then there was a knock on the wall from the room next door, next to where I was sitting and practicing drums. Jazz was totally banned. But even the conservative Royal Danish Academy of Music eventually accepts the new musical genre that's spreading across the country. Finally, in 1955, Jan Elnif presents the first official jazz concert at the conservatory. It's a two-hour concert, and afterwards, there's no doubt that Jan Elnif is the ambassador of the new sound in Denmark. The new dangerous sound has finally been accepted by the musical elite at the conservatory. And as for the 17-year-old Jan Elnif, after the concert, everyone wants to play with him. The world is his for the taking. Now let's fast forward seven years to 1962. After Jan Elnif's concert at the conservatory, Things move quickly for our young star on the drums. He's the first person people call when they need a drummer, and in 62 you can find him at Jazz House Montmartre, right in the middle of Copenhagen. They're dubbed the best jazz trio in Europe. American pianist and living legend Bud Powell, the Danish virtuoso bassist Nils Henningerstedt Pedersen, and Jørn Elnif on drums. A small bead of sweat trembles at the tip of his nose. It slips closer and closer to the edge of the abyss with every beat, in perfect sync with the pulse of the bass drum. It finally meets its fate, splashing down on the cymbal and splitting into smaller droplets that spread out in all directions. He's not rumbling over the others like a thunderstorm tonight. Instead, he's lifting everyone like a gentle, generous wind, allowing the music and musicians to soar upward toward a yet undefined goal. He wants everyone in the audience tonight to hear every single note that comes out of Bud's piano. It seems to work. He can't remember feeling the gaze of an audience as intensely, as concentrated as right now in this moment. The guests sitting along the walls and throughout the room are perched on the edge of their seats, mesmerized by the movements of the three master musicians they've come to see and hear. Bud Powell, international jazz sensation and the evening's main attraction, sits behind the piano to his right, spinning incomparable melody lines as his fingers dance across the keys at supersonic speeds. Leaning on the bar stool next to him, Niels Henning is a sight to be seen on the double bass, simultaneously hard-hitting and gentle and playing with a fearlessness and dazzling precision. 
He's 16 years old and revolutionizing the instrument. Joran sits between the piano and bass in the middle of the stage, complementing the cascades of sounds from his bandmates into a cohesive trio of sound and action. It's not just about keeping time or rhythm. It's a surface, a canvas, a landscape that the other two can move around in and on and explore. And if they get lost, he pulls them back into the form with an enchanting, magical language that's lost on the audience, but which is the mother tongue of the musicians. No one in the smoky, stuffed room of Montmartre will forget tonight. He can see it on their faces. While the three men are working and sweating on stage, the scent of cigarette smoke blends with the aroma of fried mussels being served to the audience. This is the smell of Montmartre and the smell of Danish jazz. The performances at Montmartre are a milestone in Danish jazz history. And the jazz club Montmartre, right in the middle of Copenhagen, is the capital and headquarters of Danish jazz. Actually, scratch that, Scandinavian jazz. club is visited by a never-ending stream of the biggest names from abroad. Elnif and the other sidemen from heaven learn from the legends as they play together. Here's a short list of musicians who came through Montmartre in those years, just to give you an idea of who's around. Stan Getz, Oscar Pettiford, Mose Allison, Don Bias, Lucky Thompson, Drew Moore, Eric Dolphy, Ben Webster, Dexter Gordon, and almost all of them want Jan Elnif to play drums with them when they're in town. He's totally and completely present in the moment and the music when he plays. And he's getting better all the time. In fact, he's even becoming difficult to play with sometimes, especially for Danish musicians. I was not easy to be around. I demanded a lot from those I played with. He plays with the best of the best in the world, which makes the contrast pretty evident and sometimes frustrating for him and them when he plays with musicians who aren't necessarily on the same world-class level. And because of that, I became unpopular with the Danish musicians. With the American musicians, it was no problem, because then it was me who had to prove something. For Jan, he can only play his way by giving the music absolutely everything he has in him. And he expects the same of everyone else. Sometimes he'll just stop playing and leave the stage in the middle of a concert because someone in the band isn't cutting it. The Danish musicians started ignoring me. Which was understandable, because I wasn't very nice to be around. This will be the beginning of a somewhat lonely and gloomy period in the celebrated career of the immensely talented drummer. 
a career that shines so brightly until now. I will return to Jørn shortly. But as I mentioned earlier, there are other sidemen who play at Montmartre and who are ready to take over, performing with the slew of world-class musicians coming through Copenhagen. Saxophonist Stan Getz is one of them. And we weren't looking for any money or anything like that. It was just to be able to stay in Copenhagen and, and to play music. Copenhagen has only just appeared on the international jazz radar. It's such a positive culture shock for many of the visiting American musicians, especially black musicians, that several of them don't just pass through. I say transit coming through Copenhagen, shit. You don't transit through Copenhagen, you stop. They stay, as Dizzy Gillespie says here. And a lot of the dudes, they stop forever. <laughs> One Danish musician who's very ready to play sideman to the superstars is bassist Nils Henning Ørsted Pedersen. He used to say that when he was about 15 years old, he showed up at Montmartre, and that's where he studied. Another regular sideman at Montmartre in the 60s is drummer Alex Riel. Alex is still around today. When you sat on the stage and played with the American musicians, they put their claws in me and pulled me around. It was absolutely wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Alex Riel is just a teenager when he starts playing with Dexter Gordon. I was very young and energetic, and it was very clear that long, tall Dexter really liked that. Dexter Gordon falls in love with the young drummer's energy. Dexter Gordon begins to mold Alex Riel into one of the greatest drummers in Denmark. But the American stars didn't all just stay in Copenhagen. Many of them travel, playing at the smaller jazz clubs that sprouted up in rural areas of Denmark during the 60s. A lot of these clubs are run by younger people, often volunteers, who make connections and then rent rooms and spaces to arrange concerts. Places like Bendjol in Aarhus, Jutland, and Reprisen in a small town north of Copenhagen. The audience is mostly made up of young people who are wide-eyed and sober. It's all about the music for them. They just want to get a chance to hear their heroes play.
Which brings us back to Aalborg and the East Park Jazz Club, where we started this episode. Outside, the great Earl Heinz has just arrived. It's raining, and he's wondering what the hell he's gotten himself into. A car ride with a couple of white guys who barely speak English and drove him out into no man's land as the sun went down. And now, in the dark of night, they're trying to get him to go into what looks like an abandoned shack or shed or something. Trembling in fear, the American pianist stands in a dark clearing in Alberg, a small backwoods town in northern Denmark. Four men stand before him. Behind them is some kind of shack, a structure that looks like it might collapse at any moment. The car that brought them there is long gone. The wind howls through the tall trees that surround the park. The only light comes from through the small windows in the shed. I gotta get the fuck out of here, Earl Hines thinks to himself. Welcome, Mr. Hines, one of the four men says. I am Morton Hansen. I play bass. Hines barely hears him, as the pianist's full attention is focused on a survival calculation. If he ran, as fast as he could, right now, could he escape the four white men in the darkness? Where should he ever even run to? Welcome to the East Park Jazz Club, another voice says. Jazz? Club? Earl Hines murmurs as the door the building opens and he catches a glimpse of a sparkling nine-foot-long grand piano through the door. A bottle of Maker's Mark, his favorite, waits for him at the instrument like an offering at a holy altar. The pianist breathes a sigh of relief. No one would know by looking at it, but the old building, built as a barracks by the Germans during World War II, is actually Alberg's hottest jazz club. Inside, a full house of expectant Danish jazz fans eagerly awaits Heinz's arrival. They've all come to hear him play tonight. This music is from Earl Heinz's concert in Aalborg that very night. You can find it on most streaming services. It's called Earl Heinz Live in Aalborg. we return to our original sideman from heaven, Jørn Elnif, the first called drummer for a generation of American superstars. In the early 60s, he's gotten so good that he's just too much for most of the Danish musicians. Saxophonist Carsten Fogel tells us here that sometimes Elnif would just leave the stage in the middle of a concert 
if he didn't like what was happening. Han ville ikke spille sammen med den bassist, vi havde med. Jørgens mentality and behavior leave him isolated. He will only play with the best of the best, with people like Oscar Pettiford. Oscar Pettiford, the father of modern bass playing, is one of the first really great musicians to play with Jørn and take him under his wing. Oscar Pettiford, jeg betragter ham nærmest som en far eller en bedste far. Elnif loves him like a father he never had, but Oscar Pettiford is just one of many that Jørn has to say goodbye to these years. In September 1960, Jørn Elnif and Oscar Pettiford play a concert together, but soon after, Pettiford has to go to the hospital. Turns out that he's terminally ill, and Jørn ends up burying his friend and mentor a few days later. Ja, han stod lige vores midte, og det var ham, der lærer mester for os. Og pludselig var han død. Pettiford is the first of many that Elnif loses. The ones I was closest to, they all died. Sadly, most of them were junkies. Jan himself is also living a hard life, self-medicating with speed, pills, booze, and skipping nights of sleep. The life of a musician is wonderful. As long as you can take it. Speed, pills, drinking, women, eternal travel and no sleep. He becomes unreliable. You can't count on him showing up for gigs. And if he finally does, you can't be sure he'll even make it to the drums. He's drunk, high and unstable. They were called dexedrine, preludine, what you call speed nowadays. Things really start going sideways when the young Jørn, who's overweight, gets a prescription for diet pills from a doctor. Pills that should never have been given to this young man. Diet pills at that time were straight up speed. I got sick from the pills and was sent to the psychiatric ward many times. Jørgens admitted to a psychiatric hospital multiple times because he takes like 100 of the speed pills every day. I could eat a hundred of them a day. No more, no less. Well, come to think of it, probably more. But then a small glimmer of hope in the form of American tenor saxophonist Brew Moore, who in my book is one of the greats. En of mine allerbedste venner, han hedder Brew Moore. Brew Moore has decided to settle down in Denmark and has become part of the Scandinavian jazz scene. 
He's a musician right after Jørgen's heart. Insanely skilled and ready for anything. Drew has lived his own hard life in the States. He played at Birdland in New York. And he played with all the cats. Drew says that after playing gigs, they got paid in heroin. They got a shot in the arm. And the size of the dose depended on name and skin color. I think that was damn rude. The friendship will be great for Jan Elnif's social life, but catastrophic for his health. The two become close friends and even start living together in Jan's apartment in Copenhagen. He lived with me and we had a wonderful time. They play together here and there, but spend most of their time drinking the strong Danish elephant beers in front of Jørn's turntable, surrounded by stacks of records. And then, one day, it all ends abruptly. Brew, who hasn't had a penny to his name, suddenly inherits a fortune from his family in Mississippi. This is something that, of course, needs to be celebrated. Brew offers to take them out for a nice meal, at a fancy restaurant at the top of the building called the Chinese Tower in the Tivoli Gardens. Brew, Jørn and a friend go out for the first time ever with enough money to buy as much of anything and everything their hearts desire. They go crazy and order loads of food and much more to drink. During dinner, Brumor leaves the table and heads down the stairs to the restroom on the floor below the restaurant. Something happens. The steps move back and forth in Bru's eyes. He loses his balance on the stairs and grabs for the handrail, but he can't find it. Bru tumbles and is killed instantly by the fall. His death hits Jørn hard. He's already lost so many people around him and has further isolated himself with his unpredictable behavior and general instability. Jobs are now few and far between, and he has to compete with other drummers who have gotten better and better over the years. His downward spiral began long ago. He thinks about his once bright future and his sudden and dramatic decline. I lived in an apartment on the fifth floor, and I had made a firm decision to take my own life. My wife had just left me, and I was drunk as a skunk and high as a kite. I had opened the window, and then I had cut myself in the arteries in the arms. And then I jumped. But I was too fat to get through the window. So I end up stuck there with blood trickling down my arms and having to cry for help. That's the one time my overweight saved me.
Elnif's life is saved by him being overweight. Før vi hører det sidste stykke musik, som er fra 1970, kunne jeg godt øh, tænke og spørge, hvordan din situation er i dag. Jeg tænker sgu mere på den situation, der er gået i mellemtiden fra 61 til 70. For den er meget mystisk. Enten har man ikke haft brug for mig, eller også har jeg været for fuld. Simpelthen. Jeg har ikke rigtig nogen rindring om, hvad pokker jeg har lavet. Jørgen Elnifs career is effectively over by the end of the 70s. He's just turned 40. Booze, drugs and countless burned bridges are partly to blame. Several years go by when he doesn't even touch a drum set, and he goes out in public less and less often. But a handful of friends from the old days still visit him regularly in his tiny one-bedroom apartment. Among them is saxophonist Carsten Fugel. Så sad vi der og drak noget øl og fortalte historier. Then we sat there and drank beer and told stories, and it was especially him who told the stories and me who listened. When Carsten Fugel visits Jørgen Elnif, the small apartment is filled with stories and music from the old days. Han havde ikke noget trommer eller noget som helst. Han kunne sidde for eksempel med kniv og gaffel eller... He did not have a drum set or anything. But then he could sit and play with a knife and a fork, or maybe just with his hands and then follow the music completely accurately. Carsten can see and feel that Jørgen still has it in him. Then I floated the idea to Jørgen that he should start playing again. Det kan du ikke, om han vil. Which he completely refused. Efter mange omgange, så fik han faktisk overtalt til ham. Han ville godt være med til det. But after many attempts, I finally talked him into it. Jørgens helped into the back of a van, and they drive out to a rehearsal space where some of their old friends are waiting. Han var bange, og jeg forstår det godt, fordi... He was terrified, which was understandable. He used to be Europe's greatest drummer, and he was honestly afraid of whether he could even play anymore after all those years. You can hear how it goes. They recorded the session, And this is some of the last music Jan Elnif will ever make. Ja, og øhm, momentvis to minutter her, tre minutter der, der var han stadig Europas bedste rumstræk. And momentarily, two minutes here, three minutes there, he was still one of Europe's best drummers. In the last years of his life, Jørgen still gets visits from a handful of stubborn friends who insist on staying in touch. He howls with joy when they listen to recordings of Dizzy Gillespie's Big Band. When he hears something beautiful, he shouts until tears stream down his cheeks. And when he hears something he doesn't like, he screams bloody murder in anger. The music touches him in a different way than everyone else.
Not many years after Jørn celebrates his 50th birthday, it becomes clear to his friends that the end is near. Days and night mesh together, and he sleeps more often and longer. It's harder for him to wake up. Sometimes he can hear music playing. He's not quite sure where it comes from, if he put it on himself or someone else put it on, or if it's just his imagination. But even when his eyes are closed, he can always feel the rhythm in the center of his big 53-year-old body. And when he does, he smiles in his sleep. And then one day, he can't find the rhythm anymore. It's gone. And the music has stopped playing. It's July 24th, 1991. And suddenly, there's just silence. This was episode three of Dangerous Sounds. In episode four, it will go completely crazy as a Danish jazz band opens for none other than Jimi Hendrix. That and other wild stories coming up. My name is Kristen Osgood. Dangerous Sounds is produced by Mono Mono and distributed by WRTI Philadelphia. Creston Osgood is the host with narrator Jonah's Policewoman. Special thanks to Eva Frost at Jazz Denmark, project manager Sue Edwards, and Josh Jackson from WRTI. Learn more about our mission to champion music as a vital cultural resource. Visit WRTI.org.